The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who have a significant impact on how we work and how we live. My guest today is Corey Berry, the CEO of Best Buy. Corey has been with Best Buy for 23 years, and she's a model for internal mobility. Before she stepped into the C-suite in 2019, Corey's titles at Best Buy included everything from senior financial analyst to senior director of field services for the Geek Squad. Her impressive scope of work has given her a deep understanding of the 100,000 employees she now leads. Her knowledge of both the retail and corporate aspects of the business has been key to guiding Best Buy through the pandemic and into the new hybrid shopping world. To kick things off, I asked Corey how the holiday season has been shaping up. Here's our conversation. Yeah, I think the way we've been talking about it, I certainly been talking about it, is I just see a customer who wants some joy. And they just want to feel like, especially after the last two years in particular, if you take it from the customer perspective, just want some joy. And some of that is I want the joy of giving the perfect gift. Some of that is I want the joy of experiences with my family. But we definitely feel like whether it's the shape of the holiday, whether it's to your point, promotions or inventory, whether it's just consumer sentiment, this one feels a lot more like pre-pandemic. I'm just looking for that joyful holiday moment. Huh. Do they want to spend more or really is it sort of like, let's just forget these last two years. Let's just think about spending and life is back to normal. I don't know what normal is ever going to look like again. You have this overarching consumer joyfulness, but it is against a very uneven backdrop. I personally have never seen so many conflicting indicators and never in my career have I seen a jobs market look the way that it does and inflation, and especially it's inflation on the basics. It's food, it's fuel, it's logic. And so while customers are looking for joy, I think every customer is making trade-offs. And everyone keeps asking me, how would you describe the consumer? There is no one way to describe the consumer against that backdrop. Because the lowest 20% income earners spend 70% of their income on those basics. So the trade-offs they're going to make are very different than the trade-offs a high-income earner are going to make. And so I describe it as uneven. And then our job as retailers against that backdrop is to provide a wide assortment as much as possible for every budget and really try to create that joy no matter what the backdrop looks like from a macro perspective. So while I I think holiday feels more normal, you also have to say out loud, it's against a backdrop that's unlike anything we've seen. And what are you hearing from employees in that same vein? In the last few years, we have spent so much time thinking about Um, employee health and hearing questions about mental health and working through people who are trying to figure out how to keep their families in order. Do you find that the people who work for Best Buy, whether retail or in the corporate headquarters, are moving to more of an experience that you would have seen pre-pandemic, or is this still sticking with them? My personal point of view is there is still a backdrop of mental health issues, anxiety, and 
a need to leverage resources. And we actually see it. We offer a really large array of benefits that are geared around mental wellness. And the usage of those benefits is as high as we've ever seen. I was on with a number of our uh, general managers from the East Coast yesterday, and they are so excited by this time of the year and how good the morale feels because it just does feel a little bit normal. But at the same time, there is this kind of stressful backdrop. After three years, I mean, in retail in particular, Customers haven't always been kind to retail associates. And so not only have they had this backdrop of their own personal issues, but you also have been navigating customers who have their own set of personal issues. And we definitely haven't seen that completely abate. So I think there is this juxtaposition of everyone's happy, it's holiday, it feels a little more normal, and Consumer confidence just came out a couple of days ago, and it's as low as we've seen. And so that stress now is maybe a little bit different, but there still is this layer of, of stress for all of our associates, to your point, whether it's corporate or field. Can you talk a little bit more about how you help associates deal with that question of customers coming in and being stressed, or maybe being angry, taking it out on them? How do you train people to deal with that? We spend a lot of time talking about empathy which I'm not sure is something that four years ago a retailer would have trained um, in their associates. And we, we actually created a customer office at the beginning of the pandemic. And we did that because we really wanted a group of people focused on what is it the customer is looking for, not just tactically in products, but what's the experience. 10 years ago, we would have trained our associates on all the techs and specs. And we'd have had them learning like every TV, is it 4K, is it OLED, whatever. We spend a lot less time on that now and a lot more time on putting yourself in the customer's shoes and asking real lifestyle kind of questions, not just which TV do you want? What do you want to do with it? Are you going to game? Is it in the basement in some dark room? Is it upstairs and you're going to see a lot of glare? Does your family like to stream? Is it is sound super important to you? Those are very different questions that are anchored in putting yourself in the in the customer shoes. And that has changed markedly over the last three to four years. Do you think that can be trained? Do you train people in empathy? I think you can train people to think differently about how they interact with the customer. I think it ultimately results in a more empathetic relationship. What's the first question you're going to ask someone when they come in? It could start with, what are you looking for? Or it could start with, how can I help you make your dreams come true? What is it your family loves to do together? How would you like to spend the holiday with your family? That isn't necessarily training someone to be empathetic, but it is training them to think differently about how you engage in a customer. And then it becomes really natural, right? Because then the customer just starts talking about their life and their family. And Corey, does this change how or who you hire at the associate level? Yeah, I think we, we've done a lot of work over time on who might make the very best associate 10, 20 years ago, we would have looked for someone who loves technology and knows a lot about tech. And all of that's important. It's a great backdrop. But now we're looking for people who excel in customer service, who have a strong point of view about why they love to help serve a customer, who have a strong point of view about their personal purpose and how it ties to the purpose of the organization. We believe we're here to enrich lives through technology. And now we're looking for people who feel like, no, that's something I care about. One of the greatest things we've done is enter into healthcare. And there are so many devices now that can help someone with their own health, including aging in their own homes. And I had an associate come up to me in a store, literally with tears in their eyes, because the use case is so clear. I helped 
a caregiver find the right products that is clearly going to keep them connected to an older person in their life. And I feel like I made a difference today. That's a completely different associate than we might have hired 20 years ago to help sell CDs. Can you talk a little bit about how you experiment as a company? You're a big ship and you're dealing with big retail operations where experimentation is costly. So how do you go from uh, someone coming up with an idea, what you want to try out? How do you do the experimentation? And how do you determine whether you want to roll that out nationally or internationally? One of the sustaining truths that really was exacerbated by the pandemic is the fact that the customer is in control. And they're going to shop when and how and where they want. And we really felt that pivot very quickly. And we really felt like going forward, we're going to have to think differently about both physical experiences in our stores and digital experiences with customers. So that was kind of the backdrop that we saw. And you're absolutely right. This is a company that's more than 55 years old. And the vast majority of that time has been you create the same store experience, you replicate it, and roughly, no matter what, you are either a store company or someone goes and shops you online company. And all of a sudden, the world changed. We had a lot more people calling, a lot more people chatting, many more people wanting virtual experiences. We're using FaceTime in people's homes. Many more people who wanted the convenience of a store, but some who wanted the experience of a store. And what we started to do was start to reward adaptability, way above and beyond being right. That pivot for a retailer, to your point, like we're not a tech company at our core, though I'd argue we've, we've become one. We're definitely a company that likes to try something. And then basically in our history, if we're piloting it, it's going to roll. Like everybody just assumes that's what's going to happen. And we had to get much better at, we're going to try things. And I had to say out loud and the executive team had to say out loud, some of these things are not going to work. But we really feel like the customer is different than they were. I mean, our digital penetration more than doubled overnight, just like that. And now more than a third of our business is initiated digitally. But 40% of that is still picked up in our stores. So this creative problem solving, uh, it's not as easy as just closing stores. We actually have to kind of recreate the footprint of the future so we can meld these digital and physical experiences. And to do that, we're probably going to do a few things wrong. But if we fail fast, course correct, admit when we're wrong, admit what we learned, ask for the help of the team, and then move along. I think it, it creates a really powerful um, adaptive frame for us to move through almost any kind of uncertainty. And that, I think it's becoming an enduring strength of the team. Can you walk us through how something went from idea to something that you want to actually put money against testing out? Yeah. So I'm going to use an example of um, we have some stores where we have shrunk the selling square footage and we have increased the warehousing square footage. So you have a much more fulfillment geared store with a much more efficient selling floor. We don't have an innovation lab. That idea came from actually our the kind of the store operations side of our business paired with the merchant side of our business. Because what's the problem we're trying to solve? The problem we're trying to solve is for some of our stores, customers are using that store. And this is through the customer insights engine. Customers are using that store much more to fulfill logistically than they are for a deep experiential experience. 
So you have that you have that knowledge. And then the merchants are saying, well, if that's true, I don't need to have all the SKUs on the selling floor that I do in a much more experiential store. And the ops side of the team is saying, but I need all those SKUs available because everyone's coming in curbside and in-store pickup. And so it's more this idea of what's the problem we're trying to solve. And then how do you bring, sometimes I call it two in the box. It's none of the problems we're solving right now can be solved by one leader kind of vertically all by themselves. And so often it's two or three people in the box trying to think through what's the problem we're trying to solve. And then what are the creative ways that we think we can try to solve that problem? And then importantly, you cannot forget, how are you going to measure whether or not you're successful? and then being diligent about revisiting that measurement. So you're starting with the problem. Is that something that happens at one store? Someone says, here is a problem I'm trying to solve. You bring all these different pieces you're talking about. The box gets filled at that yep. local level. It starts being measured. Or is that something that you, that you from a corporate level say, this is a problem Best Buy has that we have to go and solve. I want the best ideas to come out of this. Is it more local? Is it top down? How do you think about it? Done well, it's both. And I'm not skirting the question, but one of the most important things we learned through the pandemic is the importance of feedback loops. So in this case, this was a corporately designed solve, trying to solve a problem that we could see at our level. And then we went out to the stores and we made the changes. And then we created incredibly robust feedback loops. So the general managers and associates of those stores could on a consistent basis, come back and tell us, here's what's working, here's what's not. And then they would help us ideate further on what might be the solution from here. Because let me tell you, this is one of those examples where it did not work well to begin with in particular. And it, it has taken almost a year of iteration on the operating model, on the assortment, on the placement of the assortment in the store, on how the operations interact with the sales floor. And that's all been through feedback loops and partnership. We have ideation sessions with our general managers, with our field leaders that last about a week, where all we do is try to say, here's some of the problems we're trying to solve. Here's how we're thinking about it. And then we get their feedback. And then we try to incorporate that into the solves over time. So sometimes it is purely here is a, a problem that's bubbling up from our field associates and here's their ideas for solving. Sometimes it is here's something we see in the macro that might feel uncomfortable. We have to try to think of a different way to solve it as a company. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more with Corey Berry. Hey, you, I'm Andrew Seaman. Do you want a new job? Or do you want to move forward in your career? Well, you should listen to my weekly show called Get Hired with Andrew Seaman. We talk about it all. And it's waiting for you, yes you, wherever you get your podcasts. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back. Remember the time when we all were wondering whether brick-and-mortar stores were on their deathbeds? That moment really seemed to put pressure on Best Buy, and it's no surprise. So Corey had an interesting solve. She embraced vendor partnerships. 
pointing out to these makers of refrigerators and treadmills and more that they had an interest in showcasing their products in a physical setting, letting consumers see and touch the products rather than just having them listed on a website. I asked Corey to say more about this strategy. One of the coolest things about what we do at Best Buy is we are almost a constant innovation shop. We literally get to partner with the world's largest companies who are constantly innovating. Like these are companies that have billions of dollars in R&D budgets. And they're constantly innovating to create that next iteration of product or that next way to solve a problem we didn't know we had. And these are our partners. So that's one thing. We know that we commercialize new technology better than anyone. So again, if you go back to the core of what do we believe we're here to do? Why do we exist on the planet? We are able to enrich people's lives through technology in a way that really across ecosystems, across vendors, nobody else can. And so when you say that out loud, you realize, like, especially when it comes to some of the new technology, there really isn't another place to showcase it like we do with the expert advice, with the digital tools we have, with the service infrastructure, with the reverse logistics, with the in-home capabilities that we have. And all of those things matter in consumer electronics. This is a really different industry. It's not quite like you're looking at the next season style or color. This is a complete rewrite. I mean, think about connected fitness is one of my favorite personal categories. And this idea that if you just said 10 years ago, Best Buy was going to carry stationary bikes, you know, you'd have been laughed outside the room. And yet here, 10 years later, it's a multi-billion dollar category where a customer can fulfill a need and you need to move that product. You need to help the customer understand what it does. You need to set it up in their home. All of these are capabilities that we have. And so for us, I think it's first you get clear on why do you exist on the planet? What is what we do uniquely? And then who are the, the partners in this work with us that really, they want to showcase their, their newest tech. And that is in their best interest. And the supply chains and what we do are not easy to manage. And so because we've built this ecosystem of assets, then we're able to partner with vendor partners and, you know, help them accomplish what they want to accomplish. I mean, I think there are vendor partners where you can buy on their websites and pick up in our stores. Why would you do that? Well, because there's this convenience and safety question in consumer electronics where people want to go do that. And so we just keep thinking about new ways we can leverage our capabilities in partnership with our vendors and create these mutually beneficial relationships that both highlight their technology and innovation, but also give the customer the ability to come in and experience that product, especially on the newer side of things whenever they want to. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your career and your career arc. You've had 15 different roles at Best Buy. Is that right? That is correct. Are you a big fan of, of internal mobility in general? What's your philosophy there? My general philosophy is breadth of experience is incredibly important for any leader. And why do I say that? Because being able to see a problem from multiple angles I I believe at the end of the day, helps you ask the right question, helps you tap into the right resources, helps you think about answers differently. I mean, when I started at Best Buy, it was 23 years ago, and I came in on the finance side. And I was fortunate. My career um, took off relatively quickly. And one of the the ideas that sat in the back of my head is, um, I'd love to go get my master's. 
I didn't have a lot of time. I had family. I had obligations. And instead, I thought, well, here I am at this multi-billion dollar company. In essence, I could pick up a lot of life skills if I have the courage to go try a bunch of different roles here. And I think philosophically, Best Buy is built around this idea of entrepreneurship kind of within a larger company umbrella. And we really do support the idea of um, our, our CHRO often talks about lattice movement versus ladder. And I love this I, this visual of how do I move across and really garner this breadth of experiences, which then ultimately will help me move up in my career because I can see and problem solve and think critically across the many different angles of what we do here. And do you use all pieces of that in your job as CEO? I mean, I assume the CFO role was, was super helpful in being CEO. Are there other pieces of your experience that you say, I'm glad I did this because it's going to help me make a decision now? One of the most impactful pieces of my experience was um, actually going out and embedding myself in our retail operations. So I worked corporately here for seven years, mainly in finance. And then we created a role uh, that was a territory finance director. And we have four territories across the U.S. at the time. And you were able to go out and really embed yourself in retail. And I just felt like if I'm going to have a career in retail, it sure feels like I should go out and learn retail. And so I used maternity leave to move my family across the country. We moved to Dallas. I started traveling 90% of the time and really worked to immerse myself in retail. And um, it was hard. It was a huge cultural change. It's just a very different lifestyle than a corporate lifestyle, but it could not have been more positively impactful. And I built connections and I learned deeply about how does a distribution center work? How does a store work? How does an employee actually feel motivated? What does the morning truck look like? You know, how do I close down the store? I mean, just everything. And most importantly, some of the relationships. And sometimes people ask in the CEO chair, do you think, do you think you ever really get the honest truth? And there is a network of field leaders that I have known for 15 to 20 years who I can pick up the phone and I'm going to tell you between me and you that I will get the honest truth. I have no doubt. <laughs> and never mind social media and all the other ways. I feel like I get lots of honest truth, but that, that ability to pick up the phone, to understand deeply, not just tactically, how does the money flow, but inspirationally, how does the energy flow? That's a really huge advantage, I believe, for me in the chair that I'm in. So to answer your question distinctly, I feel like every step along the way has helped me in the role I'm in. And I can say at the same time, there is not one role that perfectly readies you for the CEO chair. But do you really do that? Are you picking up the phone and calling people you've worked with in different parts of the company and asking them like, is this, is this legit? Or is this good? What are you actually hearing? Absolutely. All the time. And another thing that I do, sometimes I'll get, um, uh, I'm relatively accessible. Most CEOs, like you can figure out my email. Um, and once in a while, I'll get employees who send a letter and um, have a concern about something. It can range from hours to pay to benefits. You can imagine there's a, there's a wide array. And almost any time someone reaches out to me, I'm going to reach back and say, I would love to spend a half hour with you on the phone if you're willing. If you want to stay anonymous, phone's a great way to do it because I don't, I'm not going to know who you are. And um, every time I learn something, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, spending the time to really try to understand what is the pulse and the culture, um, it is incredibly important. And that is absolutely a big part of how I spend my time. Can you talk a little bit about how you ended up in corporate America? It's an interesting story. This is not a path that maybe your parents would have thought you would have been on. 
I don't think it's even a path my parents wanted me to be on. I grew up uh, in rural Minnesota. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was young. I grew up uh, for a long time with my dad, and then he remarried. So I grew up with he and my stepmom, and they were self-employed artists. Uh, this painting that's behind me is one that uh, my mom was working on before she passed away. And so we would travel the country selling art. And often people would be like, how in the heck do you go from that to corporate America? And, you know, selling art, um, you do it because you believe in it. My parents fundamentally believed that the creation of art is the most human of expressions. And it is important for humanity to have art and understand art over time. And so this idea of really having a personal purpose and working against a personal purpose, I wouldn't have said that when I was young, but that is incredibly important to me because my parents, that's why you work. And they worked harder than anyone I've ever seen. Self-employment is, I believe, one of the hardest jobs in the world. So there was that. But they also created this work ethic because while selling art sounds romantic, uh, it is not a well-paying uh, job. We grew up under a lot of money stress. Um, I had two jobs in high school and I knew if I was going to go to college, I was going to have to work to get there. I really just craved some stability. And so when I put all those things together, I went to college, I went to an all-women's school here in Minnesota, and what came out the other end was accounting and business, because it was linear, I, I had the drive to try to accomplish it, and at the end of the day, I felt like it would give me just a good base to start from. And that that was really important, but I might be the only person you know, who became CFO, and I'm not, I'm not sure my parents were entirely proud of that fact. <laughs> And do you see with your kids, do they rebel in the opposite direction or are they following your path? I think it's going to be interesting. I have a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old. And um, so far, my 16-year-old is really interested in business and is pursuing uh, some of the amazing uh, classes that are offered here um, at our public school here in Minnesota. It's, it's very cool. They have some very business-oriented group project kind of classes. I'm not convinced that turns into his long-term career yet. But I think so far, they're interested in, and I really try to let them into what I do. People often talk about about kind of the guilt of these big jobs and how you find balance. And one of the things I try very hard to do is help them understand the opportunities that I am afforded to see the world, to meet with amazing and interesting people, um, and not to apologize for that in my life, but instead to really kind of give them visibility to the very cool things they could learn and be exposed to should they decide to pursue a career in business. But I also, I, I make sure they know I will love them whatever they decide. Corey, I'd love to end these with a question about career advice. What do you tell people who say to you, hey, I want to follow in your path. This is exactly what I want to do, or I want to end up like you. What's your advice? The best advice that I can give is take as many chances as possible to make yourself infinitely uncomfortable. And by that, I mean, take the risky jobs, take the jobs where the people before you maybe haven't done it the way that you would do it. Take jobs that maybe feel like they're outside your career past. Push yourself to get up on that stage and publicly speak. Push yourself to write that long thoughtful memo. Because here's the story. Every time you do something that makes you uncomfortable, by its nature, you're going to learn. And that will then start to be additive to that pile of experiences that you asked about that I think are most important as you move your career along.
it's funny, I keep all my leadership books over here. And I always laugh because I think there's millions of leadership books because no one's done it right yet. Only you can kind of create the leader you want to be. And I think that you do that by taking on as many experiences as possible and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Huh. I think people maybe worry so much about the downside of doing that. How am I going to get hurt if I write that memo? What's going to be the reaction? Do you think people overemphasize that? Or is that something you also need to consider when you're taking these risks? I think you consider it, but here's the question I always ask my kids. What's the worst thing that could happen? And I remember in a couple roles where I was really nervous about taking them, I remember sitting down and putting on paper, because I'm a person who gets my emotions out on paper. I remember sitting down and putting on paper, what is the worst thing that could happen? And usually the worst thing that can happen is an acceptable outcome. Usually it's not going to be the end of your life as you know it. And I think if you can wrap your head around what's the worst thing that can happen, I think that's very freeing, actually, because I think then you go in more wholehearted and it takes away some of that fear factor for you. The upside is almost always, always bigger than the downside. That was Best Buy CEO Corey Berry. To get even more out of this conversation, check out my newsletter on LinkedIn. It's also called This Is Working. Corey encouraged emerging professionals to take risks and to do the scary thing. She cited public speaking as one example. So tell me, is there something that you did this year to step out of your professional comfort zone? How did that work for you? Let me know on LinkedIn using the hashtag ThisIsWorking. Please remember to rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening app and take a second and just tell one friend or colleague to listen as well. It helps so much. This is Working is a production of LinkedIn News. This show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Stephen Valdivia, Elias Avalos, Taisha Henry, Victoria Taylor, and Candace Weiner. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dave Pond is our head of news production. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.